Empower Her Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Aoife, and this is episode number 48. Now, for those of you who listen every week, you may have noticed that last week I didn't have an episode up, and that was just because I am studying at the moment, and it was end of semester for uni, so I had quite a lot going on and a really busy week with clients as well, so I just needed a week's break, but not to worry, I'm back, and you will have weekly episodes every Wednesday from here on in, without a doubt, so stay tuned for another episode next week. I think it's going to be a client interview next week, so that'll be an exciting one. But today we are talking about why and when we need to adjust calories as we diet in order to keep progressing. So I think this is a really good topic and a really big topic because it's something that a lot of people might feel a little bit confused about because you think that you just need a calorie deficit to lose weight when in fact there are a number of factors that play into that calorie deficit and that erode at that calorie deficit over time, meaning that if you were to keep calories the exact same from the beginning of your diet to the end, you would lose weight at a slower rate over time and your weight loss would in fact plateau after a period of a few weeks to a month or so. Uh, So it's really, really important that we continue to make adjustments as we diet in order to keep progressing. So before we get into that, I want to show you the bigger picture of what goes on when we diet. So in the episode, I'm going to cover four topics. We're going to talk about why adjustments are needed as we diet. We're going to also look at why fluctuations in weight and appearance will happen over a dieting phase because that's something that leads a lot of people astray. They think they're not making progress when in fact they are. We're then going to talk about how I would recommend that you track progress instead of just relying on weight and appearance. And finally, we're going to talk about when to make calorie adjustments. So let's first get into talking about why adjustments are needed as we diet. So the initial calories and macros that you will calculate, or maybe you have already calculated if you follow the instructions in my earlier episode number five, as you know from that, those calories and macros are actually estimates. They're not the exact numbers that you need for your maintenance calories or for your deficit calories. The reason for this is our energy needs change over time due to a variety of compensatory mechanisms and also because everybody's body is completely different. On top of this, when we diet, we want to remain eating as much as possible for as long as possible. And when we need to make some cuts and adjustments to calories, we really want to do it in the least compromising way to make our diet successful. And some place that a lot of people go wrong with this is they use their weight as the only measure of progress and they don't understand how often or how much their weight will fluctuate by over the course of a week and month. And this weight fluctuation often masks weight loss. And a lot of people, when they see, you know, the number going down over the first few days or over the first week of dieting, they're jumping in the air, they're delighted everything is working, they're down like one kilo, maybe even two kilos in week one, and they expect that rate of progress to happen every single week, and they expect the number to go down every single day, but that is not going to happen. Then one day, it bounces back up, and they feel like they've gained all the weight back, and they freak out, they start cutting calories drastically, and then they're failing their diet because they can't maintain this drastic deficit. So that's why it's super important to understand why and when to make adjustments. So before we cover when to cut calories and when not to, we must first understand why. 
why we need to make adjustments, why fluctuations in weight and appearance happen, and how best to track your progress so you have the right data to work with in order to make adjustments. From there on in, all you need then is a framework to follow so you don't do anything silly and you don't drastically cut calories for no reason. So let's go back to what I first said about your initial calorie and macro calculations and that they are only estimates. Now that might be a shock for some people because you might think they're going to be completely accurate. But if you've listened to my previous episodes, and it was episode number five where I talked about your calories and how to calculate those, you'll know that we actually need to run those calories in real life for a period of a few weeks in order to see how exactly our body utilizes those calories and where our maintenance lies. This is because it is a calculation based off averages. So when we're calculating our daily calorie goal, we basically use our BMR multiplied by an activity multiplier, and then we deduct deduct or subtract our calorie deficit. Now, all of these numbers, the BMR and the activity multiplier, are estimates based on group averages. So our BMR is our basal metabolic rate or basically our metabolism. And that's the number of calories your body uses to maintain um, vital functions such as breathing, heart rate and brain function. And BMR is made up and influenced by so many factors that are going to be entirely different for every person on this planet. So even if you were standing right beside somebody who was the same height and weight as you, their BMR is going to be very different depending on what they're doing day to day, depending on their training history and so on, because it's made up of not only your height and weight, but it's also decided by your physical activity levels, your NEAT, your diet, your climate, your gender, your age, your genetics, the amount of lean muscle and fat tissue in the body. So all of these things are highly variable and change from person to person. Therefore, when we do any equation to calculate our BMR, we need to understand that it is an estimate based on averages. And then the same goes for the activity multiplier that we use to get our calories. That's an estimate too. That is based on how active you are. And that's also really subjective because some person, you know, one person could think they are highly active doing 10,000 steps a day and training twice a week. And another person could think they're highly active doing um, 20,000 steps a day and training six days a week and they're using the same activity multiplier so obviously then when they are eating their calories that they've calculated they will have to adjust them based on how their body um, uses those calories differently because their activity levels are quite different so obviously trial and error comes into play here and knowing that the initial calorie calculation may need to be adjusted we just account for this then by tracking our progress and then adjusting based on how the body reacts. This is what I do with all of my clients. So I would always start off with establishing where maintenance calories are before going into a deficit because you don't want to cheat yourself out of extra calories that you could be eating while still losing weight. So it's really important that you spend two to even four weeks figuring out where exactly your maintenance is, building those calories up if you need to and adjusting them before then going into a deficit. Now, the other thing we want to take into account here is metabolic adaptation. We've talked about this as well in a previous episode, episode even, and um, this is why our energy needs decrease as we diet. Energy balance is what determines whether we lose or gain weight. The problem is that energy intake affects energy 
output or energy expenditure. And this is called metabolic adaptation. And it's a result of our innate, strong protective mechanisms designed to keep the body alive in times of famine. So that's something that was, you know, happening back ages and ages ago, back in the dark ages, I guess, when um, it, there was more of a threat of that sort of thing happening. And our body still has that um, inbuilt uh, mechanism. So that is where metabolic adaptation comes into play. And it's why it's easier to get fat than it is to get shredded. So basically the premise of metabolic adaptation is that our body will start to conserve energy as we diet and that is what makes our deficits smaller over time because the body is using less energy. So let's actually go into that in a bit more detail to help you understand. We're going to take a look at the components of our TDEE, our total daily energy expenditure. So the biggest portion of our TDEE is actually our BMR, and that makes up about 70% of our entire daily energy needs. The next biggest part is our NEAT, our non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So our daily movement, just moving your hands, blinking your eyes, and um, maybe steps and st- so on. That makes up about 15%. And then the next biggest after that is our thermic effect of food. So the energy required to break down food makes up about 10%. And then the final compartment and the final small little portion is our energy activity thermogenesis. And that's basically our training that makes up only 5%. So it's quite tiny in comparison to everything else that is making up our daily energy requirements. So let's look at how all of these change as we diet. So our basal metabolic rate, our BMR, which I already mentioned is the biggest factor making up about 70% of our daily energy needs. And it's based on total body mass. So with that in consideration, our total body mass is going to decrease as we diet. We're going to lose weight. We're going to get smaller. Therefore, our BMR will drop because there is less of us to maintain. Every cell in your body requires energy. If there are less cells in your body, as you lose weight, as you lose fat mass, there's less energy required to maintain that weight because obviously the food that's coming in is really just fueling the cells in your body. However, our BMR also drops that little bit more than what weight loss alone would predict, and that's due to compensatory mechanisms called adaptive thermogenesis. Basically, a number of other things happen in order to decrease the amount of calories burned as we diet. Then also our thyroid hormone levels decrease, our mitochondrial efficiency increases, so your cells actually become more efficient at using the less amount of energy coming in, and that all reduces our energy expenditure as well. So quite a few things come into play with BMR and how that that decreases as we diet, but that's a big factor in why we require less calories as dieting continues and why we need to reduce calories as we diet. Now, the next variable, as I mentioned there, is NEAT, and that makes up about 15%. And that, as I said, is our non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So any movement that you're doing throughout the day that is not um, dedicated exercise. So when you're blinking your eyes, you're moving your head, you're moving your hands, you're talking, you're um, pacing around the place while you're on the phone, fidgeting, all of those sort of things. And they make up quite a big uh, factor of our daily activity, our daily energy requirements, and they decrease when we diet. Um, So we'll generally tend to just move less, do less, become a bit more lethargic. Our body is trying to conserve energy and it decreases more for some people than others. So it can be very variable from person to person. And 
um, for people that it decreases a lot for when they diet, it generally will increase a lot for them when they go back up to maintenance and they'll find that they can actually increase their calories quite a lot. But it is difficult for a person whose need decreases a lot when they diet because it means you will have to reduce calories quite frequently or else, um, you know, increase steps and do things like that. Next factor we're looking at with our daily energy requirements is the thermic effect of food. So this is the energy used to ingest, absorb, metabolize and store nutrients from food. And as we eat less food while we're dieting, uh, there's less food to be digested and absorbed. So the thermic effect of food will decrease also. And then finally, we have our exercise activity thermogenesis, making up that last approximately 5% of our daily energy requirements. That's the energy used during directed exercise, so going to the gym and so on. And that actually decreases when we diet as well, because the lighter we get, the less energy we will use in our training sessions. So it's really important to understand All of these adaptations will take place when you diet naturally, and that's why our calorie needs drop drastically as our calories are restricted. But these adaptations will vary so much from one person to another. So there's absolutely no way to predict how low your calories will need to go on a diet. And that's often a question I will get, like how low do I need to drop my calories or how low will my calories go when I'm dieting? And there's honestly no way of predicting it because we need to actually accurately track our progress and adjust things along the way. And everybody will adjust and adapt differently. But there are also a number of things that we can put into place and we don't want to go too low on calories. So we want to kind of keep um, a floor there of about, you know, 13 to 1400 calories and not really drop below that because we don't want to go lower than our BMR when we're dieting. Okay, the next thing I wanted to cover is some people who might have tried every diet under the sun, but they're still struggling to lose weight and they think that they're metabolically damaged from years of dieting, uh, but they've never dieted in a strategic manner. So they've never actually adjusted calories while they're dieting in order to factor in all of these things that impact our calorie requirements while we diet. So I think the first thing I want to cover there is Um, Obviously, some people do find it harder than others to lose weight if they have some medical conditions. There are some hormonal conditions that require medication, um, but it's not likely that your dieting attempts over time have caused something like this to happen. It's much more likely that your dieting attempts were maybe not as optimal as you would have liked because you were lacking guidance or because you are making adjustments too quickly based on letting your emotions overcome you, you know, when you see the scale fluctuations happening and things like that. So that's why it's really, really important to have a structure and have a framework in place and understand why fluctuations happen and understand when to make changes to calories. So there are two other important responses to a sustained calorie deficit. And this is the reason why dieting is hard. When we diet, our hormone levels change. Our ghrelin increases and our leptin decreases. These are two hormones that are responsible for hunger and satiety. So ghrelin, and I always like to remember this one like a gremlin, basically. Ghrelin is your hunger hormone. So that increases when you're dieting, you feel hungrier. Our leptin is our satiety hormone, and that gives you a feeling of fullness, and that decreases. So obviously, the two of those, increasing and decreasing, is going to play a massive factor on how adherent you can be to your calories when you're dieting. So when a person says, I'm eating only 1,200, 1,300 calories, and I'm not losing weight, why am I 
where am I going wrong? What's happening? Am I broken? Highly unlikely they're broken. It's much more likely that they are either going in and out of a deficit and, you know, they're letting those hunger hormones take over and um, going over their calories more often than they would like to admit, or they're under, underestimating their calorie intake, or they are losing fat, but they have some water retention, or the way they are tracking their progress is not efficient in measuring whether they are in fact progressing. So the bottom line here is we need to continue to adjust and decrease calories as we diet in order to make progress. But while this is happening, and this is what makes dieting difficult, and this is why people struggle, hunger increases, satiety decreases, and this throws many people off the wagon. So this is why we need to be smart about our dieting and smart about our starting deficit calories and diet on as many calories as possible while making slow and strategic adjustments when necessary. Because the deficit you can stick to is going to be the one that gets you a result. Okay, so that hopefully covers off why adjustments are needed in general as we diet and why we can't continuously diet on the same number of calories and expect to get results, why we always need to be monitoring and adjusting over time. The next topic and the next area I wanted to discuss in this is understanding fluctuations in weight and appearance. And this is a very relevant topic because it actually comes up um, weekly in my group coaching calls with my mini cut clients. And when they're looking at their progress pictures or they're looking at their weight and they're seeing fluctuations or they're not understanding why progress pictures from week to week aren't looking drastically different. And there is a reason for this. And it's really, really important to understand that this is so, so common. Short term fluctuations make it really difficult to gauge progress on a day to day basis or even week to week. So this is a trap many people fall into. They rely purely on the scale as the measure of their progress and they let that dictate whether or not their diet and their um whether their diet is working, whether their diet is successful, and they start to make changes um, ad hoc based on whether the number goes up or down each day. And we really can't do that. We've got to start to zoom out and look at the weekly average and the monthly average, because your weight is made up of every cell and organ in your body. It's not just your fat mass. So it's not just telling you whether you're losing fat or not. And oftentimes it isn't able to tell you that, especially day to day. And this is really obvious when we look at how our weight changes across the day. If you were to weigh yourself, say, first thing in the morning, after you had breakfast, before lunch, after lunch, in the evening, before you go to bed, those weights are going to be entirely different. And that's kind of like how your weight changes throughout the week as well, to be honest. And um, I think if you start to look at it like that and understand um, it in that sort of way and make that comparison, then you might start to understand that a, a day in, a day where your weight is high is really irrelevant because it's just a fluctuation. Um, basically, when we look at what makes up our weight, it's made up of your food, your um, food in your gut, your food that you're digesting, um, your glycogen storage and your water retention. So consuming more food, more carbs and more sodium increases body weight and causes fluctuation. Now, I want to help you understand this a little bit more because I think some people can get really stuck on this one. And I think once you overcome this and you start to understand why weight fluctuates, it's really, really helpful in um, just looking at it as data and looking at it 
as averages over time instead of allowing a day-to-day number impact how you're feeling. One kilo of body fat is made up of somewhere between 7,000 and 9,000 calories. So if you've gained one kilo overnight, but you have not eaten 7,000 to 9,000 calories over your maintenance calories, it is safe to say that a big amount of that is not body fat. So understand that first of all. Your weight and that number that you're seeing each day is made up of your body mass, your food weight, that's the food in your gut, the water content in your body, and glycogen. Now, if you eat saltier foods, you'll retain more water for a few days because water and because salt retains water. If you eat more carbs than normal, they'll be stored with three grams of water as glycogen because every one gram of carbs pulls in three grams of water with it. And if you eat fewer carbs than normal, then you'll use this glycogen up and you'll retain less water than normal. So that is a really, really great explanation of why our weight fluctuates day to day. Now, another factor with this is when we're in a deficit, we have lower levels of food weight in our gut, we've lower glycogen storage, and we have less water weight as a result of that. This means that if you're in a sustained deficit, you might get misleading low weigh-ins from time to time. So, you know, every now and again, you might jump on the scale and you've dropped a kilo overnight. That's not going to be an indicator of how your weight is going to trend over the course of the week. And I always like to gently break this to clients when they text me about a low weigh-in. And I like to remind them that it is, you know, just one low. Your weight will naturally spike up again after that and it will impact the weekly average which will be great and it'll bring your weekly average down but that low weigh-in isn't going to be your uh, sustained weight over the course of the week. The reverse of this is also true. If you overeat in a deficit the spikes you will see will often be misleadingly high and this is because we have lower levels of, as I said, food in our gut, lower glycogen and less water. So any, any spikes and any changes will be dramatically higher and lower than they normally would be. And these are not a true reflection of what's going on. They're often just a result of water retention. And even more often, they will just mask what's happening with regards to fat loss. So we really want to start stepping away from looking at the daily number and instead looking at a weekly average. And also understanding these fluctuations will affect not only your weight, but how you look as well. Because uh, when you are retaining a bit more water and retaining a bit more fluid and you have some more food in your gut, you will generally look a little bit bloated as well. So that's why progress pictures can often be a little bit misleading when you're dieting as well from week to week. And also as females, um, progress pictures at various stages of the month can be drastically different because of our hormone levels. So don't let that disappoint you. Um, You've got to really understand that as long as you are sticking to your processes and you're being consistent, the changes will come. And it's more a matter of compounding all these changes over time and looking at the bigger picture and looking at comparing month to month, especially with progress pictures. Um, And this is why the way we track our progress can make or break a diet. And that actually leads really well into my next point, which was going to be the five ways I suggest you track your progress. So it's important to understand 
Fat mass changes are slow to happen when we're dieting. They're not going to happen day to day. So those daily weigh-ins are not going to be fat mass changes. They happen a lot more slowly. But muscle mass changes happen even more slowly. So if you're trying to build muscle, you've got to understand that's going to take even longer. So we want to use different ways to track our progress. So number one, we're still going to use weight as a measure of progress, okay? But we're going to understand that daily numbers are going to change and fluctuate quite dramatically. And we really want to look at the weekly average. And for females, we really want to compare week one of one month to week one of another when the when our hormones are at the same phase of our cycle, okay? So you want to weigh yourself every morning. Do this first thing in the morning after you've woken up, after you've gone to the toilet, and before you've drank any water or coffee. And then take that number, write it down somewhere, forget about it for the rest of the day, and take a weekly average and compare your weekly average to the weekly average the previous week or even the previous month and the same week in your cycle. Number two, take body measurements. So I always recommend waist and hips at a minimum, but I think measuring your bicep and your thigh is quite good as well because obviously that's where we're holding some muscle mass. Number three, take front, back and side progress photos at least once every four weeks. And if you're taking them weekly, compare them every four weeks instead of comparing them weekly. When you're taking your progress pictures, you want to take them in the same spot with the same lighting, the same clothes and the same angle each week, because that's going to help you um, establish consistency and see a difference. Number four, give yourself a score on your adherence. So I want you to start looking at how adherent you are to your weekly calorie targets and your macros and checking how adherent you are to those and either giving yourself a percentage score on that of like, you know, 100% or 90% or whatever it might be, or giving yourself a rating out of 10, depending on how adherent you've been. This is something that is a really cool um, thing that we've got in the Minicut program. All of the clients have a tracker, um, not a tracker, like they attach onto them or anything like that. It's um, a tracking spreadsheet, we'll call it actually, um, where they can input all their data each week and it gives them then a compliance score at the end of each week with regards to their protein and their calories. And that helps them understand then how adherent they've been. And basically your results are only going to be a reflection of your adherence. So if your adherence is like, say, less than a seven out of 10 or less than 70% every week, then you're basically following the plan 70% of the time. So you can only expect 70%, like 70% of the results. And same goes for like, if you are putting 100% in each week, then you know that you're sticking to it. You're following the processes, you're in a deficit and you are going to see results. So it's really good to have that sort of indicator to give you an idea of where you're at with your progress. And then finally, number five, rate your sleep quality, your stress, your hunger and your energy levels weekly on a scale of zero to 10. This is something I have all my clients do on the mini cut program and my one-to-one clients as well. They rate their, um, their sleep, stress, hunger and energy levels each week so I can see how their diet is impacting those things if they're dieting or obviously if we're a reverse diet and get maintenance or at maintenance, we hope that energy levels and so on are going to be quite consistent. But sleep and stress can impact how your body holds water. And sleep especially can also impact your hunger hormones and impact how easy or difficult it is to stick to a diet. So those are important to monitor as well. 
Okay, final point, because I feel like I've talked for quite a lot in this episode. Um, final point is when to make adjustments and when not to make adjustments, okay? So when not to make adjustments, I think we've mentioned that one already, and that is when you see the number on the scale jump up for one day, you do not use that as an indicator of whether or not you're making progress. And I really, really hope that um, a little segment I did about weight fluctuations has helped you understand that. And if you can take nothing away from that episode, from this episode, I really hope that the one thing you'll take away from it is that weight fluctuations are normal. And when you see the numbers spike up like that, it is totally normal. Do not let it impact what you do that day or what you do that week. Look at the week as a whole. So we want to wait at least two to four weeks before we make any adjustments. We want to see a trend line starting to establish. Otherwise, we're just guessing at what we're doing. In the first and maybe even the second week, but especially in the first week of a diet, you want to expect that there will be a very big dip in weight at some point. And often for people, it's going to be one or two kilos that they'll lose in that first week. And that doesn't mean you're losing fat. It's actually just um, an adjustment in food volume, um, an adjustment in your gut. Less calories means less glycogen stores and less water retention. So that's really not an indicator of progress. And we really can't use that data at all because it's just an adjustment that your body is making to a change in calories and a change in food volume. So week two and three and so on are going to give us better indicators of how our body is processing these calories. And for females... I always like to look at things in four-week blocks because our hormones and our cycle will play a big, big role in how our body is responding to calories and how our body is holding water. And I might do an episode on that in the future so you can understand how nutrition impacts our cycle and how our cycle impacts nutrition. And then finally, the final point I want to make on adjusting calories is I mentioned early on in the episode we want to diet on as high calories as possible. So you might be wondering why. Well, you want to remain eating as much as possible for as long as possible when you're dieting because it will give you the highest chance of succeeding. If you are drastically cutting calories from day one, first of all, it gives you nowhere to move with your calories further on when you need to make those adjustments that you will need to make. But it also makes dieting so much harder. It's much easier to diet when you have more calories to play with and you're not absolutely starving between meals or starving going to bed. So that is the first and most important step. Start your diet on the most calories you can be on while still losing a good amount of weight. So that kind of brings us to the end of today's episode. I hope you've gained some information from it and you've started to understand why we do need to keep changing our calories as we diet in order to keep progressing and why dieting can be hard at times because it is. And you know, you've got to mentally be ready to diet in order to overcome those hurdles and in order to push through and um, sustain that calorie deficit. So that brings us to the end of the episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please feel free to share it with a friend or um, family member or colleague or gym buddy or somebody else that might benefit from it. Um, I would love if you can leave a rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you're listening on one of those. It would only take you maybe five seconds to do it and it would mean the world to me. Um, or if you're on a listening app that you can subscribe to the podcast on, feel free to hit that subscribe button so you will be notified of every future episode. And I will speak to you guys in the the next episode.